He is the strong man. He is the right strong man who has come to oust the lesser strong man. He is the rightful king who is expelling the wrongful king. And in expelling the wrongful king, he's also expelling the side effects of the wrongful kingdom, which is sickness and disease. They get out of the boat, and when they get out of the boat, the people immediately recognize him and begin flocking around him. So I've noticed a theme. I'm sure you've noticed that same theme. And that theme is whenever Jesus gets out of a boat, there's a crowd around him. You know, have you noticed that? When Jesus gets out of the boat, there's always seems to be people waiting for him when he gets out of the boat. The same thing happened just on the other side of the lake. On the other side of the lake, he takes his disciples over here for this day of rest. They get out of the boat and there's the crowd. Prior to that, when they came back from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they find that not only is there a crowd there, but people have been watching, looking for his boat to return. And as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, the crowd is there. He begins trying to make his way through the crowd. And then there's Jairus. Jairus who says, you got to come to my house. My daughter's dying. All of that was waiting for Jesus when he got out of the boat. Prior to that, on the other side of the sea, when he got out of the, on the other side at Decapolis, remember, we, remember what was wait, we remember what was waiting for him there, right? The man possessed of the demon legion running toward him, screaming at the top of his lungs, growling. This wild man possessed of demons is there for him as, as he gets out of the boat on that side. So it seems like every time Jesus gets out of a boat, there's someone there waiting for him. Likewise, here too, when he gets out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him. Verse uh, 55, and ran about the whole region. Now, what that draws my attention back to is just the previous story in which we're told that the boat was traveling towards this day of rest, but the people recognized Jesus. Once again, they recognized him. And having recognized him, remember they're running along the shore. And we talked about that word that Mark used there that described just a group of people running together almost in a comic sort of way, stumbling over each other. Maybe they're watching the boat, trying to keep up with the boat. They're tripping over roots and rocks and stuff and everything because they're trying to watch the boat and stay up abreast with the boat. And so a little bit of a comical image because the people are running. This crowd is running along the the side of the shore to keep up with the boat. Here we're told also that people recognized him and began to run about the whole region. It's a different word, but it's the same idea. Began to run or they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people. So here the picture that we're given that Mark is showing us is this picture of frenzied activity. People see Jesus and the disciples. They come to get out of the boat. They recognize them. And then immediately there just begins this flurry of movement. If we could be maybe a bird's eye view, if we could have maybe a bird's eye view of the region and what's taking place and we could look down, we would just see frenzied activity, people moving here and there. They would see Jesus and people would say, oh, what about so-and-so? What about my brother? What about my sister? What about my mother? What about this loved one who's sick? Let me run to them. And there's this frenzied activity running here, running there about the whole region. And they began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever he was. So we're told there, wherever he goes, we should take, we should take, uh, 
our understanding of these next few verses, verse 55 and 56 particularly, we could we should take these verses as not happening over one day, but probably over at least several days, maybe several weeks. This is a period of time here. And during this period of time, Jesus is going to move about. In verse 66, we're going to be told wherever He goes, whether it's villages, cities, or countryside, wherever He goes then that's where people are bringing the sick people to. So we get this picture of Jesus moving about somewhat in the region, but yet there's this network of word of mouth, this network of word of mouth in which wherever Jesus goes, people find out where he is, and that's where they begin bringing the sick people to. So they find out where he is, there's this word of mouth, and they begin bringing the sick people on their beds, we're told. Now our thoughts are taken back to the story in chapter Uh, Two of the paralyzed man and how his friends brought him on his bed. He couldn't walk, so they bring him to Jesus. Remember, they couldn't, couldn't get in the house. They make the hole. They lower him down. And so our thoughts now are taken back to that story, and we see that that story is now repeated over and over and over over the course of these days and over the course of these weeks, maybe hundreds of times or thousands of times as people are bringing those to Jesus who can't walk, Maybe they're infirm. Maybe they are crippled. Maybe they are born with some malady of the body. Maybe they are so sick that now they are to the point that they are are too weak to walk. And so they're picking up their beds and carrying them on their beds. So as they're picking up their beds, don't have this this picture in your mind of... uh, what flashed in my mind as I was thinking about this was the monkeys. Remember that? Where they had the bed with the headboard and the footboard and they're taking the bed. Not that sort of thing, but but more like a a, a, a mat or a, or, a, or a cot. Maybe a, not even a cot. But you, I, what I think of is, you know those little roll-out things that you put underneath a sleeping bag and you sort of blow them up and, and it gives you about that much space between your sleeping bag and the ground? That sort of thing. This, this roll-out sort of a mat that they lay on and they're picking them up. Maybe four people, maybe two people. They're picking them up and they're carrying all the sick people to Jesus. Just just have that picture in your mind of hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people over the course of the next several days going to those who are too sick or too crippled to come to Jesus and they're picking them up and they're bringing them to Jesus on their beds, wherever they heard that he was. So he goes here. They hear about that he's over there and people come there. He goes over to this other village. The people hear about that he's there and they go over there. Now verse 56, and wherever he came, the villages, the cities, or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces. And that right there, that reminds me of Acts chapter is a 2, where they bring the sick to Peter. And in hopes that his shadow passes over them, that they may be healed. They bring wherever he is, they bring them and they lay the sick in the marketplaces. Now, that word marketplaces is a very generic word. It can mean a literal marketplace where buying and selling is done. But it more generally just means a gathering area in the village or in the town. You know how towns will just have a gathering area. Maybe it's the city gate or maybe it's just... uh, uh, a particular, particularly nice shade tree in the middle of the village or whatever. But there'll be a gathering area where the people gather. And that's what Mark is talking about here. They bring the sick to the gathering places, to the marketplaces, and implored him. Implored him. That's that same word we've seen many times before. Back in chapter 1, the leper came to Jesus and implored him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Or we saw that 
word in uh, rapid fire uh, repetition in chapter 5 where the demons implore Jesus not to send them into the waterless places. And then having cast the demons out, the village people implored village people. The, the people of the village, that sounds a little better, doesn't it? The people of the village implored Jesus to, to leave their area. And then getting in the boat to leave, the man who was previously known now as Legion implores Jesus that he may go with him. And then coming to the other side of the lake, then of course Jairus implores Jesus to come to my house because my daughter is dying. So we've seen this word many times used in the relation to those who come before Jesus prostrate even, bowing before Jesus, imploring Him. So we see here that they implored Him that they might touch even the fringe of His garment. So two things to see there. One is that Mark is, in that phrase, he is setting us up. He's preparing us for the next section. Because in the next section, we're going to have 23 verses that we're going to be wrestling with this contention between Jesus and the Pharisees over their perception that Jesus has trod all over the law. And as we'll see over and over, we have to make this distinction between the law and their traditions. But nevertheless, in their mind, they see Jesus as trotting on top of the law. So Mark here in the final sentence before that section takes care to tell us that they implore Jesus that they might just touch the fringe of His garment. You ever wonder why that word fringe is in there? Because that word fringe is referring to the tassel. If we were to go back to the Old Testament, we would see in the Old Testament, they were told that the Jewish men were to put four tassels on the corners of their robe or their outer garment to simply just to remind them of the law of God. That was what God mandated for the Jewish male. So Mark here takes care to to say that they might touch even the fringe of his garment so that we might say, oh, by the way, right there, we're just, there's another reminder that Jesus was the perfect keeper of the law. Jesus never violated one law of God. So we're reminded of that. They might touch just the fringe of the garment. But also, of course, our minds are taken back to the woman with the flow of blood. The woman with the flow of blood whom we're told specifically that she was trying to get to Jesus to just touch the hem of his garment that she might be made well. So perhaps the, the story of this woman has spread, but even more so than this, we just see that this sentimentality, this feeling, this, this idea, this way of thinking is pervasive in this area. Remember, this is a nominally Jewish area. And so this way of thinking is pervasive. As we talked about the woman who tried to touch his garment, we talked about her faith and how that faith was mixed together with pagan beliefs. The pagan belief that a piece of clothing had healing power in it. Jesus' clothing had no magic power. Jesus' clothing had no healing power whatsoever. The power to heal did not come from touching His clothes. And that's why Jesus specifically says to her, your faith has made you well. Your belief has made you well. So we'll expand on that in just a little bit. But we're brought back to that to see that there's a continuity. Not only was it this woman herself, but now many, many others, hundreds, even thousands of people are coming to Jesus, imploring Him, just let me touch the tassel. Just let me touch the hem of your garment and I'll be made well. And then we're told, and as many as touched it, or as many as touched Him. The pronoun autus can mean it or Him there. 
I think a more theologically precise translation is that as many touched him. But either way, it's the same. If they touched his garment, then they were by connection touching him. But I just think it's clearer theologically to say as many as touched him were made well. As many as touched him were made well. So again, we're given this, this clear picture. If we read through the Gospels, and we were to make note of all the healing stories that are included in the Gospels, of all the blind that are made to see, the lame that are made to walk, the lepers that are cleansed, the demons that are cast out. If we were to collect all those stories, we would have a couple of dozen healing stories. But the Gospels tell us, particularly Mark's Gospel, tells us very plainly, those are just select illustrations, just select examples. Jesus healed literally thousands of people. You remember the night of healing back in Capernaum. All night as the whole city was brought to Him. And again in chapter 3 as the people are flocking by Him so close that Jesus orders the boat to be made ready in case the crowd crushes Him. And so thousands upon thousands of people have been physically healed by Jesus. Jesus is literally banishing from His presence all sickness and illness. There is no sickness or disease that can stand to be in the presence of Jesus because Jesus banishes it all from His presence. He is the strong man. He is the right strong man who has come to oust the lesser strong man. He is the rightful king who is expelling the wrongful king. And in expelling the wrongful king, he's also expelling the side effects of the wrongful kingdom, which is sickness and disease. Sickness and disease and all illness are the result of the sin of man. Some of our sickness and some of our disease, of course, can be traced to our sin with a straight line, but not much of it. Most of our sin and most of our sickness and most of the disease that afflicts mankind is a result of our, is all a result of our sin, but most of it isn't a direct result. But because mankind has sinned and cast the entire creation into the state of fallenness, that's why sin and sickness exist. And so in the presence of Jesus, the rightful king, the true strong man, he is banishing from his presence the side effects of the wrongful kingdom. He's banishing from His presence all sickness and all disease. So what we should be left with, the strong impression that we should be left with, and perhaps you didn't see this right away, but once I point this out, this will be so clear. This will be so plain for you. What you should be left with is a strong sense of contrast. A strong sense of contrast between Gennesaret and Nazareth. Because both Visits by Jesus were led, Mark led us up to both, both of those visits in precisely the same way. There was a series of miracle accounts. You remember back in chapter four, there was the calming of the storm on the sea. There was a casting out of the demons known as Legion. There was uh, the raising of Jairus' daughter back from the dead. There was the woman with the flow of blood. And then that took us right into Nazareth. And then coming into Nazareth, what are we told happens at Nazareth? The people recognize Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't his sisters here with us? Don't we know this man? They recognize Jesus. And in their recognition of Jesus, 
They scorn Him. Because we are told very plainly that He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. Now, as we said when we walked through that passage, what Mark is not saying to us is that Jesus' hands were tied, that He was somehow unable to perform any sort of miracle, though He wanted to. What we're told is, what we're told consistently through the Gospels, is that Jesus can do nothing except His Father's will. Jesus cannot do what violates His Father's will. And so it is not His Father's will that miracles be paraded in front of those who don't believe. And so therefore, Jesus cannot do any mighty work there because there is no belief there. Instead, there is unbelief. Now we're presented with this picture of Gennesaret, which is, quite frankly, could not be more opposite than Nazareth. Both instances, both visits by Jesus, Mark leads us into them in the same way with a series of miracle stories. The feeding across the water, the calming of the storm, the walking on the water. And then Jesus gets out of the boat and then the same thing happens. Jesus is recognized. But now the result is the complete opposite. It couldn't be more different. It couldn't be more contrasted against Nazareth. Because now we're told that not only does Jesus do many mighty works, we are told that as many as were brought to Him, as many as touched Him, were made well. So we should perceive here that Mark is trying to describe to us a series of days or perhaps weeks in which an absolute flurry of healings is taking place. Hundreds and perhaps thousands of people are being healed over these next coming days and weeks. So to put the two of these together, we have Nazareth on the one side and we have Gennesaret on the other. Nazareth, we're told specifically that Jesus did not do many mighty works there. We are told He laid His hands on a few and healed a few. So whoever came to Jesus with any sort of belief was healed. But by and large, we're told that Nazareth was left devoid of miracles because of their pervasive unbelief. But here we're told that as many as were brought to Jesus, as many as touched Him were healed. No one was brought to Jesus and left unhealed. So the conclusion that we must come to is that Gennesaret is a picture of belief. It's a picture of faith. So all who brought were brought to Jesus were healed And we're being shown this as an example, as an illustration of faith.